death is a, a very difficult thing. You know, we, we are graced that ultimately death has no sting. Once we Christians breathe our last, it's eternal life with our, our Savior and Lord. However, on this side of eternity, we still uh, face the sorrow of losing lost ones, right? We're still under the curse, and uh, we're slowly dying ourselves. And so physical death happens, but really at the root of that is, is spiritual death. We uh, are born dead in our sins. And by God's grace, when we come to know Him, uh, we get new life, and the power of death is overcome, right? We can overcome temptation. We also have the penalty of our sins that has been paid, completely satisfied by our Savior, but we still have the presence of our old man against which we wager war every day. And so we, we struggle. There's the, the prince of the power of this world, Satan. There's the world itself that, that lives for this old man, they have no, no other man for which to live, for whom to live. So the world doesn't believe that we should die to self, which is the truth that we'll be looking at this evening, and, and our flesh certainly doesn't want it. But that is what we're called to do, die to self. We, keep, we need to keep dying to self, uh, as we'll be looking at uh, in the book of John. So where we're at in the book of John, uh, the book of John is split in two portions. First, we have three years of ministry uh, of, a, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have the seven signs culminating with uh, the resurrection of Lazarus, the I am statements. And then we have a transition chapter, chapter 12. In chapter 12, verse 1, it says that there is six days till the Passover. And from that point on, through the end of the book of John, there's just two weeks. One half, three years. The second half, two weeks. And so we're in this uh, transition chapter. And uh, the second half of the book right, is the pre preparation and also the death, resurrection, and ascension of our Savior. And so yeah, we're in this transition chapter in which we hear that the hour has come. John 12 Verse 23 tells us that the hour has come. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come. But before that, the hour had not come. Before that, in chapter 2, verse 41, verse 41, the hour had not yet come. Chapter 7, verse 30. Chapter 8, verse 20. This is a pivotal point in the book of John. Our passage this evening is uh, John 12, uh, 20 to 26, uh, we have uh, verses 20 to 22 more uh, as a context, and we'll be looking at verses 23 to 26. But if you'd read along with me, John 12, uh, verses 20 to 26. Uh, John 12, 20 and on reads the following way. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus, and Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come, that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, 
it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So the context here uh, is that there's uh, an audience. We have Philip, Andrew, Greeks. But beyond that, if we read in the surrounding verses, we see that there's more people there as well. So we have uh, verse 17, there's a crowd. Verse 19, there's Pharisees. A crowd in 29 and 34. And so uh, there's an audience there. And as the Greeks come and ask a question, the importance that the text uh, tells us, or what the text wants to tell us, pardon me, is not what the question was that they had. It's the answer that Jesus gave. So that's, that's what we have. We don't know what their question was. Uh, John and, well, the Lord wanted us to know what Jesus said here. And so the first thing that we, we find in the passage is that the hour had come. Well, what hour? The hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour for Christ to be glorified. And so, uh, what does that mean? Well, the glorification here is the very death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord. Now, there is shame, right, in the death, but it is a glorious thing. It is by the death that we see in verse 24, as verse 24 explains further, verse 23, that much fruit comes. So the hour had come for the Son of Man to be glorified, and that is His death, resurrection, and ascension. This glorious ministry. And so the next thing that we see in the passage is uh, Jesus illustrating this glorification ministry through a parable, a very short one. Right? Verse 24 tells us basically that uh, a seed must die to produce fruit. A seed must die to produce fruit. Or a corn of wheat right, must die to produce fruit. And Jesus here is talking about his death. And the fruit of his death, uh, we can think of another parallel passage here, Matthew 13, the parable of the soils. Falls in the thorns, falls in the road, but when it falls in a rich soil, or a recipient soil, which is a, a believing soul, right? As one hears the word of God and faith and repentance comes uh, to the Lord. And so this is the fruit that Jesus is talking about. Um, and Jesus, through his death, gives much fruit of salvation to those who believe in him. So there's great harvest, eternal life of the sinner because of Jesus' death. But there's a deeper truth that we find here. Jesus was deeply committed to the Father's plan to live a life of self-denial, of complete obedience, even unto death. And so, uh, as well, as we look at the text... We have to think of who is speaking. He says, verily, verily, in an emphatic way, we have our, our sovereign Lord, our loving Lord, laying down his life for us, and we can have a certainty uh, 
about what he says, right? There's an emphasis here. Truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto you. The certainty of the statement, a demonstration of love that is just beyond comprehension, an awesome demonstration of love, we see uh, by the Savior's sacrifice. Now, an interesting thing happens. At this point in the story, the emphasis switches from what the Lord has done and he applies it to us, but in a slightly different way. Because we cannot and may not uh, do like our Lord did. He's the only one, right? Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 7, uh, 27. Uh, because of his death, right, it was only one death to pay for the sins of the whole world. We are not called to die like Christ did. We're called, like Romans 12, 1 tells us, to have a living sacrifice, or like Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15.31, he says, I die daily. Right? It's a, a living sacrifice. So the, the text shifts from Christ's sacrifice and an application to us. And we see that in two different ways. The first way, the passage applies the passage, uh, this truth to us in the following way. Verse 25, we could summarize the statement Hate life to keep it. Hate life to keep it. And that's the first application uh, that Jesus makes about this truth to us. And like, well, what does, what does this mean? Like, do I literally have to like, hate my life? It is not in that ultimate sense. It's in the sense of denying myself and living for Christ. There's another parallel passage that further explains this truth well. Mark 8 34 and 35 reads the following way. It says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. Right? We're talking about death being denying uh, my desires of the flesh, right? my old man. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And you read this parallel to verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And we're talking about the same thing here. And so the hating my life is denying myself the desires of just living for me. Like the world does and tells me I should do as well. Like my flesh ultimately wants. A selfish life for myself. And God calls us to not do that. To to kill the desires of, I live for me. Keep dying to self, denying myself. That's what this passage says. We find further parallel passages like Colossians 3, 2, 3, and, and also verse 5. It says, set your affections on things above, not on things on earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. So we are dead in Christ. We have the penalty and the power of sin paid for us. We are in Christ. We have an eternal salvation, but our old man is still there. And we ought to kill those desires of me, myself, and I, and also me, myself, and I. <laughs> Right? That's, that's what we want. 
The world doesn't believe those truths, and our flesh does not want to hear that either. But that's what the Lord calls us to. And how does that look? Well, it could look the following way. Uh, for instance, you know, we have uh, many things we desire in this world, and they just really don't matter much. It could be um, if men speak well of you, if they hate you, if you have a lot of things, a little, just a little, it doesn't matter much. If you're persecuted or lied about, it doesn't matter much. If you're famous or unheard of, it does not matter much. If you get things your way in church or not, it doesn't matter much. It's not about you. It's not about me. Like Paul says in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, all right, humility is displayed by putting others' interests above our own. And we don't want to hear that. We'll say yes, of course, but our flesh fights against that. If something bothers you in your household, and it's just a preference matter, of course, we have to talk about that within the proper right, parental or uh, spousal roles. But, you know, get over it. It's not about you or me, and we, we have to fight uh, that. Then Jesus uh, further explains this truth. He gives another application of this parable to, to us and says uh, what could be summarized in verse 26 is, Follow Jesus and you will be with him. Follow Jesus and you'll be with him. Verse 26 says, If any man serve me, let him follow me. Right? If, if we actually proclaim to serve Jesus, we ought to, to follow him uh, day in, day out. It's just not just a profession and then I, I do what I want. And so as Jesus' crucifixion is the path to his glorification, so the believer's death is the path to vindication. And, and my Father will honor the one who serves me, uh, Jesus says. So we... We need to keep dying to self. And the good thing is that Jesus doesn't just call on us to, to die to self. He has promised things in this passage. What does he say in verse 25? Or starting with verse 24, Because of his death, it brings forth much fruit, salvation of sinners. And for us, he promises those that are true Christians, those that follow him, hating their lives in this world, They'll keep it unto life eternal. We're promised eternal life as followers of Jesus. He in His grace right, calls on us to die to self here, but we are promised, we're motivated by His truth, the truth we can bank on, the one who is the all-true God and who led the way in a sacrificial way to live a selfless life. Let him follow me where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. The father will honor us. He will say, welcome, good and faithful servant, as we, as we follow him. And so dying to self is the main idea, but Jesus also gives us reasons, right? He tells us we'll have eternal life and the father will honor us. And there's a there's really a stiff warning against those who choose not to do that. You will lose your life. The Father will not honor you uh, if you choose to live for yourself. And so we're reminded 
things we know, it's pretty basic Christian truth, right? Um, but we live in, in a world that's infected by sin, lives for its fleshly desires, and we're bombarded by the worldly ideology. And our flesh, our flesh does not want it either, right? And so we, we ought to be reminded of that. And as we go about our day, you know, I get up in the morning and there's two ways I can go about just rushing out the house to then get to work. I can either be impatient and just like blast through, blast out the door to, to just get to work, or I can, you know, take time to focus and think about how I can live for the Lord, um, filling my mind with truth and entrusting the day to the Lord and dealing with my kids, my wife in a certain way. And as I go about my work day, think about how it can be light and, and look for opportunities to witness versus just hanging out at work or letting what gets to me get to me and you know, damage the testimony that I have for Christ's sake, for Christ's name's sake. And then we have coming back home and the hobbies and etc. So think through how I can implement this truth and live in a way that's self-controlled in a, in a culture that is binge on this, binge on that, and get disfocused on this and that with technology and, and not give God his, his honor and glory he deserves. And so may the Lord help us in our different spheres of life to keep dying to self at work, right, in evangelism, at home, selflessly loving or submitting or obeying for our roles at church, just not just warming the bench, right? Contributing, submitting to the leadership, and in missions, right? As we missionaries go about and really do this, but uh, do this abroad, uh, fighting to not live for this world, beating it out of us and trying to live as pilgrims. May the Lord help us. Uh, to live for Him. And may God bless His Word. Thank you.